Thanks for joining us here at New Song Church, where we are helping people to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference. If you ever have any questions or you want to learn more about us as a church, you can check us out online at newsongplymouth.church. It is the best way to stay connected with us throughout your week. And now, check out this week's sermon. Are you ready to study the Word of God? Let's do that. Get your sermon notes out. Uh, today, I'm going to talk about a subject that I've never really uh, spoken on before. Not, not that I remember. Um, anyway, I, and, and I'm going to tell you what it is before we go any further. We're going to be talking about sticking up for the underdogs. We're going to be talking about standing in the gap for those who are defenseless or helpless and just need, they just need some help. That's what we're going to be talking about today. And I was thinking about some times in my life where I, I um, and, and no doubt you've gone through this too, where there have been some times in our life where we saw some people being abused or being hurt or, or going without, maybe they were suffering, uh, maybe they didn't have enough food, they didn't have any electricity, they didn't have a place to stay, they didn't have any gas money, they, they, they were just going without, and you said to yourself, boy, somebody's got to help these people. There are two types of people in the world, well, actually three types of people, one type, of peop- one type of people group are, are those that don't even, they don't, they're so egotistical, they don't even see the needs of others. There, there's another group of people, like, you see somebody in need, like, well, boy, I hope somebody helps them, and then you walk away. And then there's a third group of people, and this is the group of people we need to be, that see somebody in need and says, boy, they're not only in need, but I can help them. I'm going to do something about that. I'm going to help them. And, and those those sticking up for the underdogs, just going to bat for somebody who needs some help. But then there's bigger situations where people's lives were at risk or things were going really bad for somebody. And, and maybe some of you in this room did step in and help. And maybe some of you uh, have stories of, you know what, I should have. I have a regret about that. I should have stepped in and helped, and I just didn't. I was just scared. I just, I just didn't. You know, one of the most recent stories that, that uh, I could think of uh, about this happened in Walmart uh, not too long ago, probably a year or two ago. And, um, I, and, this, and I'm going to talk to you. I, I really debated whether I should share the whole story of this, but it only makes sense if I share the whole story, okay? That's how it just makes sense. And so um, I don't know, I don't know uh, where you stand about the Second Amendment, your right to bear arms. I don't know where you stand with that, but... Um, there was a man in Walmart, and he was two aisles over, and no doubt he had a weapon on him, and his shirt must have come come up or something because there were two other guys that were just giving him a really, really hard time. I mean, from two aisles over, I, I heard the sixth letter of the alphabet like over and over and over again in the bad word form. You know, A, B, C, D. You're counting, aren't you? That's what you're doing, aren't you? It was beep this and beep that and, and beep you and beep everybody. And I'm telling you, everybody, voices were getting escalated. And I was listening I was listening to the guy that was giving answers. And his answers were, his responses were so calm. They were so great. He said, he would say to them, gentlemen, whether you agree with this or, or not agree with this, I am well within the law. I have the right to carry this weapon. If you'd like to see the permit that I carry, I, I will show it to you. Otherwise, you can go get a security guard and bring them over here, and I'd be glad to explain this to them, to the right person. Well, they wouldn't, they wouldn't leave the guy alone. They certainly weren't going to get a security guy involved. They weren't going 
going to call the police. And this guy, I'm telling you, the guy that was being attacked, verbally attacked by these two others, he was doing, he was just stellar. I mean, was just stellar in the moment. I was so proud of him. Well, then I, I decided because it was get, kept getting heated and then more heated and then more heated to the point that um, I, I told my wife, I said, I, I, I got to go. I got to go help this guy. And she's like, no, no, no. I said, baby, I got to. Like, because you know what I'm talking about. Something inside says that guy is being attacked and somebody needs to stand up for him. And so, so interesting enough, I, I remember it was two aisles over because I left my wife's, my, my wife's cart and I walked one aisle over and I see two Two employees wearing the blue vests that Walmart employees wear, and they were down on their knees, and they weren't going to do anything. They were like, like, Ugh, you know, they were staying exactly where they are. And I, I remember thinking, um, I'm doing your job for you. That's what I remember thinking. How many know what I'm talking about? It gets irritating doing the job that somebody else should be doing, doesn't it? Thinking, man, I'm doing your job for you. But I kept walking and went to the other aisle, and I, I remember just standing at the end of the aisle. They were halfway down, and I just stood there, and I just made my presence known. Now, again, whether you agree with this or disagree with it, I, I'm going to say that 99% of you are okay with me saying this next phrase. I, I also have a, a permit, and I was carrying that day. I had a 380 on me, but they didn't know that. Um, but I, wanted to, I just wanted to give that guy a little peek, like, hey, see, I'm with you. you know, like, but I didn't, I didn't do anything. I just stood there. All I did was stand there. And it, it was my way of telling these guys that, hey, this guy's not alone, that I'm with him. And even though I don't know who he is, I'm standing with him. And they could see that in my eyes. And they saw me there, and I just, I just needed to be there. I just had to let them know that there was somebody else watching. And all of a sudden, those guys started, they started lowering their voices, and they're still dropping the F-bombs as they're walking away. And, and they get up to me, and I, I just keep looking at them. I, I'm, how many know, men, you know this, right? When, when, something, when there's something inside of us guys, like, you could be the biggest nerd in the world, right? But if you're standing up, like something inside of you is like, nobody messes with me today. Like, how many know what I'm talking about? Maybe you've dealt with that with your family. Like, you felt like your children were under attack or they were being threatened, and there was something inside of you that just said, nobody's getting to my children today. Nobody's getting to my wife today. You know, that type of like, I don't know. And it was in me, though. It was in me that day. And as they walked towards me, I just looked at them in the eyes. You know, I had nothing to fear. Of course, I knew I was carrying, and they weren't, so that helps. And, uh, and as they walked by, as they walked by, they both walked so close to me that they brushed up against me, where I kind of took, you know, two hits as they walked by. And, and uh, wisdom demanded that you just still let them walk by, that I just smiled. I just kept the same smile on my face. And uh, they, they walked by, and they kept walking, and I just kept making sure that they're going to keep walking, and they did. And I, I looked back at the guy, and, and we just, I didn't say anything to him. He didn't say anything to me. We just kind of nodded at each other. And it was, it was my way of saying, hey, I got you covered. And it was his way of saying, hey, thank you. I needed that, you know? Like, it was just one of those things, sticking up for the underdog, sticking up for somebody who was well within their right. Whether you agree with that or not, that's not the, that's not the point. They were well within their right and they were being mistreated, and somebody just had to stand up and say, hey, I'm not going to let that happen. Some, something bad is about to happen, and I'm just not going to let it happen. I'm going to stand up for you. I'm going to stand in the gap for you. I'm going to stick up for the underdog. Have you ever been there? 
Have you ever regretted it when you didn't stand up for the underdog? You ever remember bullies in school that you didn't, you, you knew that they were wrong, but you didn't stand up for the nerd? I, I remember I told the first story, the first service, I told them some stories. My brother, um, he, he was bullied pretty severely, actually. Um, I could tell you long stories about that. And I remember times where I did not stand up for my brother, didn't stand up with my brother. Even I was just a kid. I was just a junior higher back then, you know. But even looking back now, I have some regrets. Man, I should have stood up for him. There were times, though, where uh, he was wrong. I, I remember one time he was a senior in high school. I was a, I was a sophomore. He was, he's two and a half years older. If you ever wonder, if you know my brother, he's older than I am. He's two and a half years older than me. And um, we were in band one morning. And um, <laughs> uh, there, there's this young girl named Crystal, and her, her boyfriend was Steve Bowman. Steve Bowman, like, lived in the weight room. That's where he lived. He was so built. This, this kid was tough. I mean, like by far the strongest kid in school. And my, my brother happened to be flirting with Steve's girlfriend. And everybody's telling my brother, you better stop, dude. You better stop. But he wouldn't stop. He just kept flirting. And then Steve, of course, walks in, sees it, finds out, and ends up taking my brother outside. And I'm rooting for Steve, man. I'm like, yeah, Steve, you need to take him down. Is it? Because he's a, he's a dork. He's an idiot. You know, take down my brother. And uh, I, I remember thinking that at the time, like, no way am I going to help you out, Richard. You deserve this. You, des- you deserve this. And he was by far the underdog. And I, I wanted him to get beat that day. I wanted him to get beat. Maybe you've never been like that. Maybe you've never been as sinful as I've been. Uh, but I wanted him to just, I wanted him to be unconscious by the end of the day. I really did. Let me ask you a question, though. Where's grace in that? And where's mercy in that? And where's the love of God in that? In fact, in fact, in fact, aren't you glad that we serve a Savior who is not looking at God the Father saying, oh, yeah, let Justin win. He deserves it. Aren't you glad we don't serve a God like that? In fact, Jesus is so merciful. He's so gracious that he lives for our benefit all the time. And even when we are faithless, he is faithful. Isn't that amazing? I don't know about you, but I have some regrets when I didn't stand up, and I should have. I have some regrets where I didn't help somebody, and I should have. Thankfully, the, the stories of helping far outweigh the stories of regret, but I have regrets, and quite a few. And we had the story in the Bible of Abigail in First Samuel chapter 25. As we start this series, Supporting Roles, and these are just people in the Bible that really weren't main persons in the Bible, uh, meaning the Bible doesn't say a lot about them, just gives little bitty snippets of their life and what they did, but they were, we would call them this, little people that make, made a big difference, like little known people that made a big difference, if not in the world, at least in their world. Supporting roles, people that weren't the, the center of the attention, uh, the center of attention throughout the Bible, but yet they made a big difference. So let me fill you in on what's happening here in the life of Abigail, which we also have to talk about King David, who wasn't yet king, and also Saul and uh, Nabal, which is which is Abigail's husband. So what we have here in First uh, First Samuel chapter twenty-four, I'm just going to 
kind of give you the paraphrase about this, the story behind it and how we get to the first Samuel 25, is that, is that uh, David has been on the run from King Saul. King Saul is mad at David, and they end up, David and his men kind of head towards the wilderness, and King Saul is going after him, and King Saul's one desire is to kill David. But the king has a problem one day, and the problem is, 1 Samuel 24, you can read this for yourself, the problem is, he's got to go to the bathroom. You say, that's not in there. Read your Bible, everybody, it really is. So the king has to go to the bathroom, and so he sees a cave, and he decides to go relieve himself, the Bible says, in this cave. So let, let me say it like this, everybody, and I, it, it's the type of bathroom experience that's going to take a little while, all right? And, and, that's, and, and it's kind of important for you to know that because when the king goes in to relieve himself, David and his men are hiding in this cave, and his men are telling him, David, you could take out Saul right now. He's in the cave all by himself. You could kill him right now and be done with him. And David, here's what they're saying, and he sneaks up on the king, on King Saul, as he's doing his business. And instead of killing King Saul, he just cuts off a, a corner of his robe. There's no doubt King Saul had probably laid that aside so he could do his business. So King Saul finishes his work, and he goes outside, and David follows, and he humbles himself before the king, before Saul, and he says, Saul, you need to know something. Look what I have in my hand. I have the corner of your robe in my hand. I could have killed you, but I don't want to kill you. I'm trying to honor you as king. Why are you pursuing somebody that doesn't want to hurt you? And Saul has this incredible change of heart, and he looks at David, and he says, wow, I realize now you really could have taken my life, but you spared me, and I'm so appreciative of that. David, it's okay. I'm, I'm not going to pursue you anymore. And King Saul takes his, his army, and they, they go away. Well, David doesn't head back that way. He stays in the wilderness. And as he's in the wilderness, he ends up camping out near Nabal's shepherds and flocks. We don't know the length of time, but we know it's long enough that David actually protects all of the belongings both men and animals, for Nabal. And he's going to make a request. But Nabal turns out not very wise. So let's read there, 1 Samuel chapter 25, verse 1. Here we go. Now Samuel died, and all of Israel assembled and mourned for him, and they buried him at his home in Ramah. Then David moved down into the desert of Paran, Remember, Saul went back to his kingdom. David and his men stayed out in the desert. A certain man in Maon who had property there at Carmel was very wealthy. He had a 1,000 goats and 3,000 sheep, which he was shearing in Carmel. His name was Nabal, and his wife's name was Abigail. She was an intelligent and beautiful woman, but her husband was surly and mean in his dealings. He was a Calebite. Now, what, what that means is this, everybody. There's something about Nabal that you need to know. The guy was just mean-spirited. He was just more than a little ornery. He was mean. In fact, let, let me, I wanted, I'm going to tell you this before we go any further. Number one, write this down. That, that your wisdom or my wisdom or the lack thereof 
determines our future. It determines your future, determines my future. And what we see about Nabal is that he doesn't have any wisdom at all. I'm about to show you this. He doesn't have any wisdom at all. And trust me, everybody, he suffers for it down the road. His lack of wisdom is actually his detriment. His lack of wisdom results in pain and suffering, in fact, even death. Can I tell you, before we go any further, New Song, look at your pastor very quickly. It is so important that you have wisdom because your wisdom or lack thereof determines your future. People who are not wise suffer in this life, but people who live wise lives have good lives. Let let me say it another way, everybody. The Bible talks about the preciousness of wisdom and says that all of us should live our lives to pursue it, like to get it, to grab hold of it, to lay hold of wisdom, because wisdom determines our future, but so does our foolishness. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be a fool. I just don't. Like, nobody wakes up in the morning and says, wow, I can't wait to be stupid today. Nobody says that. But yet, how many people live terrible lives because they lack Wisdom, they lack wisdom. The Bible says, get it, get wisdom, pursue it as the treasure that it is. It is so valuable. And where do we start? Obviously, we fear the Lord and we look to his word. We look to his commands, his statutes, his decrees. We look to the truth. And if we live our lives according to the word of God, I promise you, we will live our lives in wisdom. I promise you that. And we will have great lives. But Nabal, he's about to suffer because he's a fool. So what happens in the story is King David sends some of his servants down to Nabal and says, hey, 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 Nabal, we've been, we've been uh, living for your good for a long time now. We've, we've been watching over your, your flocks. We've been watching over your shepherds. We haven't taken a single thing. I mean, we've treated you really really well. And now, um, if, if you don't mind, during this season of celebration, as you're shearing your sheep, as, as you're gaining even more wealth, can you just share some of your meat and supplies with us? And it was very, very common in those days, everybody. There's some things that were, that were just expected in that day that maybe is not expected now. But have you ever noticed that culture changes these days? That culture is different? Can I, can I give you an example? Like when I was growing up 30, 40 years ago, um, that, that when people came and knocked on our door, it was immediately we go answer the door and, and whoever that is, please come in. And it was invite them to sit down and it was, hey, would you like to have some tea? Would you like to have a, a cup of coffee? Is there anything that I can get for you? How many remember those days? Okay, how many know that those days really don't exist today? Like if you go to somebody's house, they're just going to stand in the door. They're not going to let you in, odds are. I miss the old days. I sound old, don't I? I'm only 46. Some of you have been, some of you, um, well, you've just been young for a really long time. That's what it is. And for those of you who have been young for a really long time, you remember those days that you would actually invite people into your house if they showed up unexpectedly. Remember back in, in those days, um, somebody would knock on your door and, and the kids would be running around, company's here, company's here, company's here. And now it's, uh, 
somebody's at the door. Oh, somebody's at the door. And, and you get scared, and you're like barely opening up, and who are you, and why are you dare standing on my front porch? And I just kind of miss the old days. I just, I just kind of miss the old days. And, and I think that's an area, everybody, just, look, can I tell you that hospitality has suffered in our current culture? And, and I think we need, I think we need, I, I think hospitality needs to be restored in our culture. I, I just do. It's just, call me crazy. It's just, just me. And so if you ever come by my house, guess what I'm going to say? I'm going to say, hey, come on in. You want some coffee? You want something to drink? And Because that's how, that's just how I choose to live life. My, my mom goes to a next level. She'll always say, hey, the door's always open. The door's always open. You just come on in. And she'll tell people, even to this day, you don't even have to knock. Just come on in. Well, she did that all the time growing up. And I had a youth pastor. Uh, my youth pastor was actually, she was just a volunteer, but she was a girl. And one day she decided just to come in but the shower was in the back of the house. And all I had on was my underwear, everybody. And my youth pastor saw me in my underwear. And me and my mom, we had a talk that day. And you would think that she would say, okay, I'm not going to do that anymore, Justin. I'm so sorry. Oh, no. She still does that to this very day. I'm so glad I don't live with my mom. That's all I got to say. Pray for my dad, everybody. Pray for my dad. And so, obviously, back in the day, that was just something that happened. If, if there was a man that said, hey, I've been, I've been watching out for your stuff. I've been helping you. I've been a very good neighbor. I'm just asking for this. You, you would obviously say, well, sure, sure. Whatever I have is yours. If you've been good to me, I'm going to be good to you. It was just etiquette. It was just culture. But Nabal was foolish. And he said, David, who's David? Son of Jesse, who's that? That means nothing to me. How do I even know that that's who they really are? Just send them away. Well, David gets extremely angry. And he knows that he knows Nabal's heart. And David has this thought, somebody's got to take him out. And he declares war on Nabal and his household. Well, the servant goes to Abigail and gives Abigail word of what's about to happen, that David is about to attack Nabal and Nabal's household. And when Abigail gets that word, this is what happens in 1 Samuel 25, verse 18. Ready? Abigail acted quickly. She acted quickly. She took 200 loaves of bread, two skins of wine, five dressed sheep, five seeds of roasted grain, 100 cakes of raisins, and 200 cakes of, of pressed figs, and loaded them on donkeys. And then she told her neighbors, go on ahead, I will follow you. But she did not tell her husband Nabal. As she came riding her donkey into a mountain ravine, there were, there were David and his men descending toward her, and she met them. Watch this. This is so cool in verse 21. David had just said, it's been useless, all of my watching over this fellow's property in the wilderness, so that nothing of his was missing. He has paid me back evil for good. May God deal with David, be it ever so severely, if by morning I leave alive one male of all who belong to him. Okay, now stop right there for a second. This is so interesting, everybody. That at, now, now listen, there are no coincidences in the Bible. It, it's all the inspired word of God. Every part of it is inspired of God. And so when the Bible gives a detail like this, it's for us to note. So at the very time that David says, wouldn't you know it, guys? 
We've been nothing but good to this Nabal, but he has done evil to us, and now he's going to pay. At the moment that David says those words, there's Abigail. What I'm talking about, everybody, is the timing of God. The timing of God. There are going to be circumstances in your life that you're going to have to stand up for the underdog. And it is not coincidence that you are there at that moment. It is the timing of God. And when you see somebody in need, you need to understand, God has me here for this moment. He has created an opportunity for me to live for the glory of his name and for the benefit of somebody else. And you step in and you help. It is the timing of God. Do you see that, yes or no? Okay, let's keep reading then. In verse 23, and when Abigail saw David, she quickly got off of her donkey and bowed down before David with her face to the ground. She fell at his feet and said, pardon your servant, my Lord, and let me speak to you. Hear what your servant has to say. Please pay no attention, my Lord, to that wicked man, Nabal. He's just like his name. His name means fool and folly goes with him. And as for me, your servant, I did not see the men my Lord sent. Like, like you got to know, I didn't have anything to do with this. It, had I been there, I would have said something, but I wasn't there when, when your men talked to Nabal. Verse 26, and now, my Lord, as surely as the Lord your God lives and as you live, since the Lord has kept you from bloodshed and from avenging yourself with your own hands, may your enemies and all who are intent on harming my Lord be like Nabal and let this gift which your servant has brought to my Lord, be given to the men who follow you. What she's saying is, David, I'm so glad I caught you in time. I know that Nabal did not supply what you needed, but I'm supplying it now with a sincere apology. Would you be kind to the family of Nabal, even though he is foolish? And David agrees. And Abigail saves a household because she decided to stand in the gap, because she decided to stick up for the underdog, for those who were defenseless, for those who were about to lose out. She decided to make a difference, to make a difference. So what happens is David agrees she goes home that night, just to tell you the rest of the story. She goes home that night, but Nabal's been drinking. Of course, it's the celebration time of the year. They're, they're shearing all of the, tree, the, the sheep, so Nabal's been drinking. He's drunk. She says, now's not a good time to tell him, so she waits until the morning until he sobers up. And when he's sober, she goes to him and says, by the way, David and his men were coming here to kill you, and I gave them these gifts, and, and they stopped, and you're alive because of me. And at that point, Nabal, the Bible says that Nabal's heart became like stone. Meaning this, everybody, he, it was like he entered into a coma. We don't know exactly what happened. Maybe he had a heart attack or a stroke. Whatever the case is, I guarantee you this, it was not coincidence. And he was in a coma for the next 10 days. And on day number 10, he died. Well, David finds out that Nabal dies, he gets in contact with Abigail, and he says, Abigail, I want you to be my wife. 
I want you to be my wife. I'm going to show you some things that you're going to to learn from Abigail here. Number two, Abigail's circumstances did not change her character. You need to know that right off the bat. Abigail's circumstances did not change her character. Let me say this in two ways. Everybody listen to this. This is so important. So important. I know a lot of people that use the excuse, well, I'm like this because of my husband. Or if my wife wasn't like this, then I, but, but, but Abigail was living with a fool, a mean-spirited man, but she never let her circumstances change her character. She was, meaning this, everybody, whether she was with the greatest of men or the lowest of men, she was still going to be a woman of character, a woman of integrity. And what I'm calling you to, no matter who you're with or or who you're around, or if you go to the job site every day, like, Pastor Justin, you don't understand. All I hear day after day after is just cursing and cursing and cursing and perverted stories and just things that that nobody wants to hear. And so it's, hey, listen, can I tell you, just don't let your circumstances change your character. Don't let your circumstances change your integrity. You be the man or the woman of God that you're called to be no matter who you're around. And I promise you, God will honor that. And I'm going to prove that to you in a second. Number three, write this down. What was cool about this is that Abigail was carrying the attributes of a queen long before she ever became one. Like, okay, so when she stood in the gap, when she stood up for the underdog, the defenseless, Did she know as she was living a life of integrity, as she was carrying the character in this family or the integrity of this family, did she ever know that she was going to be queen? Did she ever say to herself, you know what? One of these days I'm going to be queen, so I better do it now. One of these days I'm going to be queen, so I'm going to do good. Really, She had no idea that Nabal was going to die. She had no idea that that David would fall in love with her and say, hey, I want you to be my wife. In fact, everybody, when this took place, who was king? It wasn't David. It was Saul. But in Abigail the entire time were the attributes of a queen. Were the attributes of a queen. God knew it the whole time. It it really ties to the last one. I was going to say something else, but let's tie it to number four right here. When Abigail honored God, God honored her. When Abigail honored God by honoring others, God honored her. Put your sermon notes away. I just want to talk about a few things before we call it a day. When you live a life of integrity, when you live a life that's real, as a passionately devoted follower of Christ, when you live that life, I promise you something. You're going to see people in need. You're going to to see people who struggle. You're going to see people who have no hope, who are defenseless. You're going to see people like that because God is going to bring those things to to your focus, to your eyes, to your ears, to to your knowledge. He's He's going to tell you Hey, look at this family. Look at this person. Look at this guy. Look at this girl. See their needs. Do you see those needs? And he has an expectation that when that when you honor him by honoring others, he's going to turn around and honor you. 
He's going to turn around and honor you. I, I had it written like this, but I, I changed the terminology to honor because some, some people might take this wrong. But when, when, you exalt, when you exalt others, God exalts you. When you think of others as being more important than yourself, then God looks at you and he, he meets your needs and he honors you. In fact, the Bible says it. I know you might struggle with that terminology, but the Bible says it that whoever's last will actually be first, right? That when you exalt others, when, let me say it like this, when you put others first as more important than yourself, trust me, God will take care of you. When you, honors, when you honor others, God will honor you. But, but, but here's the thing that we struggle with. Let me ask you a question. This is what we struggle with. Are, are you living your life wanting things from people or wanting things for people? That's a, that's a great question, isn't it? Because materialistic, egotistical people, they live their lives only wanting things from people. But if you're a passionately devoted follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, your eyes are going to come off of yourself. You're going to focus on your Heavenly Father and the will, His purpose, His plans for your life, His will for your life. And all of a sudden, He's going to put your eyes on others. And instead of wanting something from others, you're going to start wanting something for others. There, there was a man who came into New Song a long time ago probably 12 to 13 years ago. The church was very, very young back then. We weren't running that many people, maybe 60, 100 people at the most. And this man walked into the church, and it was, it was, it was somebody that many people in our church knew, and he was pretty well off, if you know what I'm talking about. He, he was known around town as... Let's just say this, he was not poor. And a lot of people are like, oh, this is really going to help the church. If he tithes, oh, this is really going to help the church. And, and, and actually, the first day he came in, he started telling me some things that he was dealing with. And I wanted so badly to tell the whole church, if you, if you knew what this guy was struggling with, you would not want something from him. You would only want something for him. There was some freedom that he, he needed to experience in his life. There were, there were some miracles that he needed to experience in his life. But isn't, isn't, that, isn't that our our flesh, our humanity, our sinful nature that just kind of looks and says, oh, I, I want this from them instead of saying, hey, God, what do you have for them? We, we focus on what we want from instead of what we want for. He came to church for a little while, by the way. And, and did you know we had a, a single Hispanic mom? Who outgave him in tithes and offerings every single week. Isn't it interesting? The people that you think have all the money they're gonna give. Sometimes they're not, they're not who you think they are. And sometimes the ones who have very little to give, they're the ones who give the most. I love those type of people. They're the real deal. You know what I'm talking about? Real deal. 
God was teaching me something last night. I, I thought, God, how, how do you want me to end this? Where do, where do you want me to go? What, what do you want me to say? As, we, as, we te- as I teach new songs, just to stand up for the underdog. Just to stand up for those in need. Stand up for the helpless. To, 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 to be aware of your surroundings. And, and, and not look down on people and say, well, you deserve it. You, you, were, you were stupid. You deserve that. You were just dumb. Like, like, haven't you been stupid before? Haven't you, let me ask, ask this. Haven't you been a person that really was in need of grace and mercy? And it's so easy to receive that from the Lord, but sometimes it's so difficult for us to give it, isn't it? I've been there. <laughs> Just this past week, um, somebody, somebody um, asked for some help just benevolence, and, and, and we get these requests. I, I can't tell you the number of times we get these requests every week. So multiple requests every, every week, every week. And this was somebody that we'd helped out multiple times in the past, and I made a statement to my staff in times past saying, I'll never, I'll never help that person again. So I'm, psst, I'm just done now. And time goes by, and they contact me, I don't know, this past week or two, and said, Hey, Pastor, we really need some help. And so I helped. And my, my staff looked at me like, oh, you didn't. You said you weren't going to help them. I know, I know. But they just need some help. They just need some help. How many grateful that we have a God who looks at us in our foolishness and our lack of wisdom and says, we have a Savior who looks at his heavenly Father and says, you know, Justin, he needs some help. I'm so glad that God didn't sit there and say, well, I helped him out last week. I'm done now. Like, I'm done. He doesn't say that. Aren't you grateful for our Heavenly Father? Aren't you grateful? It's just his, his mercy. Can't, shouldn't we be more like our Father? So, so somebody asked for money. Well, I know. I, this is a big one when I was growing up. Somebody would come and say, well, I, I need some money, but they had a cigarette coming out of their mouth. And all, the, all those legalistic Christians would say, well, I, you, we're not going to give you any money because you obviously just spend it on cigarettes. Why am I going to give you money just so you can suck it up and get a disease? You know? Well, let me ask you a question. Where's the love of God in that? Where, where is, where's mercy in that? Where is grace in that? Now, I, I know. We, you don't... I, I know. I know there's times to say no. I know there's times to show tough love. But can I tell you, we err on the side of judgment far more than we err on the side of mercy and grace. And as a passion, this is what the Lord was teaching me last night, as a passionately devoted follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, that I cannot ignore what's happening to others, and I cannot ignore what's happening in me. And we get that out of James chapter 1, verse 27. Watch what it says about passionately devoted followers of Christ. It says, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless as this. Meaning this, if you're a passionately devoted follower of Christ, This is what you're going to do. You're going to look after orphans and widows. Watch this, everybody. In their distress. Like not on their best days. Let me say it like this. Not on their best days, but on their worst days. You're going to look after them on their worst days. In their distress. And to keep yourself from being polluted by the world. As a passionately devoted follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, 
I cannot ignore helping someone else. And I cannot ignore what's happening in me. I cannot ignore what's happening to others. And I cannot ignore what's happening in me. Let me say it this way. Let me simplify it even more. The call of God is upon all of our lives as devoted followers of Christ to protect others and to protect ourselves. That's what James 1.27 says. That if you're really a follower of Christ, you're going to look out for others. You're going to protect others. And on their worst day, you're going to be a help. And in the middle of all that, you're going to keep yourself from being polluted by the world. You're going to protect yourself. So I must protect others and protect myself. Say, which comes first? Yes. Absolutely. Well, which one is that? Definitely. See, as I'm, as I'm helping somebody else, I'm also watching myself. And as I watch myself, keep myself from being polluted by the world, as I'm protecting myself, I'm protecting others. And as I'm protecting others, I'm protecting myself. I'm just, I'm just living that life as a passionately devoted follower. And can I tell you something? Can I tell you something? There are people that don't deserve your help. but the mercy and the grace of God requires us to help anyway. The Bible says if you've been forgiven much, it should be pretty easy for you to forgive. If you've been shown mercy a lot, if you've been shown the grace of God a lot, it should be easy for you to show mercy and grace too. And let's fight for the underdog. Let's fight for those in need. Let's fight for those who go without. Let's fight for those who are suffering. We have a mission team this week in Guatemala. Guess what they're doing? They're fighting for those in need. They're fighting for the defenseless. They're fighting for the hopeless. They're fighting for those who just need something. We're going, my, my, my wife and I are leading a trip to Haiti. We're going to be doing the same thing. You say, well, that's real missions. Well, listen, it could happen across the street. It can happen down the road. It can happen in, in this community. Who's in need of help? Who needs to be, who needs to be looked after? Who's having a bad day? Can you step in and help? And by the way, by the way, by the way, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, at just the right time, God will show you an opportunity. At the moment David is telling his men, I'm gonna take this guy out, there's a woman who steps up and says, not today. Why? Because of God's timing. And if you listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit, he will give you, he will show you opportunities to make a difference in the life of somebody else if you just pay attention. So I've told you what I, this is some of the things that I do. I always keep cash on me outside of the cash that I'm able to spend. And it's not cash for me. It's, just, it's, a, little, it's a little secret wad of money that I have in my wallet, but I don't keep it for me. That money's there for somebody else. Because if, if ever I see somebody in need, I don't want to be the guy saying, I'm sorry, I would help you. I just don't have money. So I, I always keep money on me just to be ready to give. How many think that's a great idea? Wouldn't that be cool if all the Christians, if we all just carried around a $20 bill to help somebody else? Now I try to carry around 50 Because maybe they'll need more than just a $20 bill. I don't know. I just want to be ready. 
I just want to be ready. Let, let me end with this. There was this couple that you're going to meet this December 19th. We're having an all-church Christmas banquet. We have it every year. And I, I told you the story just a couple of uh, weeks ago, a couple months ago, I'm sorry. I, I met this incredible missionary couple in South Africa. And they rescue these little boys and girls off the streets in the slums of South Africa. In Johannesburg, they just, there, there are slums there, and they, they rescue these kids. I said, how in the world did you get into that? They said, well, we, we went there one time, and we saw the need. We came back. We heard the voice of God. So we came back to the States. We sold everything that we had, every single thing that we had, and we just moved to South Africa. I, I said, We're, did you already have a house? No, we didn't have anything. We just literally got off the plane and said, okay, let's go find a house near the slums because that's who we're going to reach. And we just started... And I said, well, did you have funding? They said, no, we just were going to get jobs once we get there. We didn't have any funding. We didn't have any support. Our family told us that we, were, that we were crazy, but we knew the heart of God. And we knew that there were these children that needed some help. And so we just, we just went there. <laughs> and then they reached one. And then they found a family that would take in this child. So then they took in another child. But then they found a family that would take in that child. So they went and rescued another child. And it just kept happening over and over and over again. And now they have rescued thousands of children out of the slums, placed them in foster homes. Of, of, in every foster home they place it in, they place it in only in, they place those children only in homes of Christian foster parents. And now they have 22 full-time employees that all that they do is travel from one child, or I should say from one foster home to the next, making sure that every one of those children gets seen at least once a week, just to check, hey, how you doing? How's the child doing? Do you guys need anything? 22 full-time, they have so many kids, 22 full-time employees going house to house just checking on the kids that they have rescued out of the slums. And those kids, a lot of those kids, including those missionaries are going to be with us at our, at our all-church Christmas banquet on December 19th. And, and, and they have a, a, a children's choir that's going to be singing. Uh, obviously, these kids are going to be singing that night. It's going to be awesome. They're not going to do any Christmas songs, but we don't care, do we? Because it's, it's awesome. And how many just, I mean, I'm sitting next to these missionaries thinking, wow, you, you guys are heroes. Like, you belong in the Bible. You know what I'm talking about? Have you, ever had, have you ever met somebody like, that story should be in the Bible. That's so awesome. Somebody who just decided, I'm going to fight for the underdog. I'm going to make a difference in the life of somebody else. A new song, if you pay attention, the Holy Spirit will tell you how you can help and when you can help and what to do if you just listen to his voice. All of a sudden, when you get your eyes off of yourself and get on others, he'll just show you. He'll just show you the needs, the opportunities to make a difference in the life of someone. And I'm going to challenge you today to do it for the glory of his name and for their benefit. Because that's what being a passionately devoted, devoted follower of Christ does. We protect others and we also protect ourselves from the pollution of this world. You know what part of the pollution of this world is? Self-centeredness. We gotta protect ourselves from it. Do you receive the word of the Lord today, yes or no? Amen. If you do, stand up with me. We're gonna pray.
What a great day in his house. So glad that you're here. I want you to keep coming back and invite as many friends as you can. We just teach and preach the word of God. New song, I'm so proud of you. You're just such a life-giving church. So servant-hearted, I'm just so proud of you. But let's, let's do it. Let's live for the glory of his name. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, before we go any further, we want to pray and really ask, Lord, that you forgive us for the times that we were self-centered, that we were prideful, that we were stingy, just selfish. We saw the needs of others, but maybe we were judgmental. We thought to ourselves, well, they deserve it. Forgive us for the times that we were not acting in mercy, we were not acting in grace, we were not acting in love. Lord, we repent of those things. And we want to be like, we want to be like Abigail. She's in your word for a reason, Lord, to teach us something. And we want to learn that lesson from her. Maybe we have a supporting role in life that we're not meant to be the center of attention, but that doesn't mean we cannot make a difference in someone else's lives. So I pray. Father, fill us with your power. Give us mindsets, hearts that are humble, that you would reveal opportunities to us, that you would show us the needs of others. Give us the grace and the mercy and the strength and the love to do something about it. Father, in this day, we're choosing to take James 1.27 seriously. That we're going to fight for the defenseless, for those in need. We're going to help. And we're going to keep ourselves from being self-centered, judgmental, prideful. We're going to keep ourselves from being polluted by this world. We're making another commitment today, Lord that we're going to make a difference as we, live, as we live for the glory of your name and for the benefit of others. We give our lives to you in surrender. Use us to expand your kingdom and to encourage others and to win lost people in a very dark world and show them the love of our wonderful Savior. And it's in his name that we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. As a church, it is our honor to play a small part in what God is doing through your life. And we would love to continue on that journey. To find out what your next steps could be in your relationship with Christ, all you have to do is go to newsoundplymouth.church to connect. Thank you for all of you who consistently give, serve, and pray. You are the ones that God is using to truly make a difference in our community as we live out our mission of leading people to become fully devoted followers of Christ. We hope you tune in next week.